Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit newroom.org. Recent travels, I've gotten to see some really cool things as well and just seen what the body of Christ looks like abroad. Um, I'll share just a, a couple quick stories just because it was just so much fun. Um, my wife and I just got back from South Africa maybe three weeks ago. Is that about right? And we took our son Archer with us. He's kind of just crawling around right now. One of these days he's going to love this story and not remember any of it. Um, but we, uh, I got to speak at a church called Freedom House and another one called The Eagles. Uh, one was in a very like low-income area and the other was in a very wealthy area. And uh, it was just interesting because these two pastors, they, have no, they don't know each other. They're different races. Um, and there's some animosity in, in that part of the world. And so we got to bring them together, and they had a lunch recently. And it was partly because somebody on the outside came in. And uh, you know what's interesting is that's sort of what's always happened. When it comes to how God's brought redemption to the world, it's, been, it's never been somebody going up to heaven to meet him and then reconciliation happens. It's always been about a God who comes here. You know, he always sends somebody. Um, and, and now we get to be the sent ones. We're the, the ambassadors of heaven. Um, you may think you're a citizen of the United States. You're actually a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And, and that citizenship is far superior, far more powerful, carries far more authority. Um, when... when Paul tells us that we're ambassadors of Christ. Um, let's think about what that means for a second. If you were to, uh, Denmark is one of my favorite countries. I go there a lot. If, if you were to step inside the embassy of the United States in Denmark, uh, whose soil would you be on? Right. Now, when the ambassador of the United States, when he writes a check on behalf of what country is he writing that check on? So he has authority to sign checks on behalf of the United States Treasury, right? Like he gets to, to literally, he's been given authority in another country to represent the country he comes from. Well, guess what that means about you and I? If we're called ambassadors of Christ, then we get to represent another kingdom. Now, when you think about our treasury, is there any limitations to what kind of checks we can sign? I mean, that's pretty insane to think about. And so we come in not just with, like, earthly authority, not just fleshy authority. We come in with the authority of heaven that actually transforms lives. Um, you know, I grew up in a, a semi-broken home. Uh, you know, I had a, had a parents divorced when I was about a year old. Uh, at age four, dad married another woman, uh, adopted her six kids, and didn't pay child support. You know, it, it was like this, this whole world of mine was just crumbling. And, and you know, my, my story, unfortunately, is par for the course in this world. It didn't take very long to, to look at the news and see that something is deeply wrong with the world around us. And fortunately, God has always sent messengers to bring about reconciliation and change. And, and now we get to be the source of that reconciliation and change. I remember the, the first time I saw deaf ears get opened up, I was at a, um, another church, and I was worshiping, and I kept hearing this passage play over in my head. You know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. I loved that passage. 
And I kept playing it over my head as I was worshiping. And I was like, God, where is this passage? And I opened right up to Psalm 110, where that passage is right, the first verse says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. Well, when I read that passage, I was immediately depressed. And it sounds strange, but let me explain why. You know why that made me depressed? Was I was looking at that, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. I kept thinking, God, no. Father, don't, don't be the one who does all of this work. I want to be a part of it. I want to make your enemies a footstool. You know what happened? I read two verses down, and it says, in the day of your power, your people will volunteer freely. I thought, what? I threw my hands up in the air. I started worshiping, and all I could envision was just like touching heaven. And I noticed as I did, my hands started to get really hot. And I turned to my buddy, Jeremy, and I said, God's going to do some healing tonight. Well, right then, a lady gets up on the microphone and says, hey, I feel like God wants to do some healing. Raise your hand if you need healing for anything. Well, this woman raises her hand right next to me, and uh, I, I go up to her and talk to her, and she says, well, I'm 50% deaf in both ears. I said, okay, let's pray. Now, I, I've, never, I've prayed for deaf ears at this point, but I've never seen anybody get healed. And so I start praying for her, and as I do, do she starts doing this whole, you know, weird charismatic thing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the music had stopped. I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, Anyway, I'm, I'm like, uh-oh, here it goes. And she falls to the ground, and I'm just holding her head up because I don't want her to bang her head against the ground. Uh, well, she gets completely healed in that moment. Um, yeah, amazing. Praise God. What was cool, though, was she got up, shared her testimony, and she says, three years ago, this guy named Michael Miller prayed for me, and God partially healed my ears. And she goes, tonight, that boy over there just prayed for me, and God gave me the rest of my healing. And everybody's like, well, that's Michael Miller. She says, no, Michael Miller prayed for me three years ago. And like, no, that is also Michael Miller. Well, the other Miller was in the room. This is how we knew, like, okay, God had brought us together. <laughs> Later that night, I'm getting texts from, from Freeland, and he's saying, sons of thunder, you know, like, yada, 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 we're going to do this. And yeah, it was a really exciting thing. I don't know why I mentioned this. Oh, in the day of your power, your people will, fo will volunteer freely. Guess what today is? In Luke 4, when, when Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, now it was customary for a Jew, to, for a rabbi, to walk into the synagogue, which were little temporary temples all over the, the nation because they'd been dispersed everywhere. So it was customary for a rabbi to come in and read from a particular scroll each week, just like they do in the Catholic Church today. They, they just carried over Hebrew tradition. And so he was reading from that week, it just happened to be Isaiah. And he reads this passage about how God is going to set people free. You know, the, the, I don't remember all of the verse. Maybe someone could quote it for me. Here, put it up. Isaiah 53. Let's find it. Sorry, I totally pulled this on you last minute. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Keep going. Uh, I just lost myself. Favorable year of the Lord. Oh, he closed the book, gave it back to the attendants, and then he sat down after saying, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He reads from Isaiah 53, and he says, guess what? This is it. It's fulfilled. You know what's crazy? Is he actually leaves a part of that passage out. You know what it was? The day of vengeance of our God. 
He completely doesn't, he doesn't finish that part of the scroll. Why do you think that is? Because vengeance would be served on, upon Jesus, and it would be finished. There's no vengeance left for any of us. All we get is the favor and release of captives. Everything that Jesus paid for, we are now appropriating in the lives of the world around us. I mean, he's appropriated on us, and now we're doing that for the rest of the world. Um, our story is not about us going to God. It's always been about him coming here, and it started really early on. You know, he, he starts by, by looking at the earth, seeing it formless and void. He says, you know what, I'm going to put some people there who are going to represent me, my new ambassadors, and they're going to extend my reign over this crazy, chaotic world. They were made in his image. They were to, to represent him, look like him, carry out his rule, his, his authority, and spread over the earth until it looks like heaven. You know, we think that somehow through the fall, they lost that mandate. It was never lost. They just became slaves in the midst of it. I mean, God still intended to use them to be his image bearers. And you see what happened in Genesis 10 or 11. They start gathering together in one city, which is exact opposite of what he told them to do, spread the earth. You know, it's really interesting, is, and we know what happened. That's called the Tower of Babel, right? He's, he's like, they won't spread, so I'll do it for them. He spreads mankind, creates all these new nations, all these new languages. This is why we have different races today. And the enemies used that to his advantage, to divide us and conquer us. Now, the Lord sought, he did that to extend his rule. Now, what's interesting is you read in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 10, just before that, God is going to list off the nations of the known world. In other words, these were the nations he was separating. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, he says something really interesting. He says, uh, recall when the Lord separated the nations and, and determined their boundaries according to, the, according to the number of sons of God. So it's just a commentary about how God created all these new nations. Well, he split up mankind to carry out his rule, but the problem is mankind was fallen. They were, were failing to live out his image. And so God, again, is going to have to come down and do something significant. Now, you, you've, you've read about this when he restores the languages. How many, how many know what, what passage I'm talking about? Anybody? What is it? Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and creating this thing called the body of Christ. You know what's really interesting? Luke, when he writes Acts, he's going to list off the nations of the known world. Now, in Genesis chapter 10, that's exactly what the author of Genesis did, and he lists them off going from west to east. In Luke chapter two, or Acts chapter 2, Luke is going to list off the exact same nations, in the exact same order, going from west to east. Do you get the significance of this? Do you think Luke was doing that just by accident? Or do you think he was doing something intentionally to create a point? This is the reversal of what happened in Genesis 11. Nations were separated, but through Christ, they've all been brought together. It gets even better than that. I mean, this is the, the, th the fun part. Like, oh, man, it's funny because we could just sort of read over Acts chapter 2 and completely miss that very thing, that God has taken all these nations that he's, he's given over and separated, and he's brought them all back together again and say, listen, not only is, is my kingdom for the Jewish people, now it's for all of the nations. Guess what? It was always intended that, to be that way. 
When Israel was formed by God, when he, when he called that nation out of, when he called Abraham out of his land and brought him over to the land he was going to show him, he became the God over that nation. And in the midst of that, he was saying, here's what you're for. You're going to be a light for the rest of the world. What do you think that means? What does light do? Well, it, it brings clarity to things. It, it exposes what's in darkness. Maybe it shows the world what it looks like when God is actually ruling again. And maybe it shows the world what God is really like. You see, I looked around the world. I was a, I was a probably sixth grader when I can remember thinking to myself, how can there be a God when the world is the way it is? And I was sitting there building a case against God because I was looking at my family, the divorce, the, the lack of finances, the uh, abuse, sexual abuse. I dealt with all of those things. And I'm going, how can a good God exist in that kind of environment? What I didn't know is that God had always been working to reverse what mankind had done to this world. And the enemy. Um... I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with this? I had a point. I remember someone, I was a 15-year-old. Someone gave me a Bible. I didn't know what a Bible was. I thought it was a book of ancient spells and secrets. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. I literally thought it had spells, like it was a spell book. Um, I just didn't know. I grew up in, in an environment where, where my dad was Mormon, my mom was Jewish. So I, I am the epitome of what you would call a spiritual mutt. <laughs> Someone gives me a Bible. I was so scared of what my family thought that I used to hide it in my desk. And then when everybody would go to bed, I'd get it out and I'd start reading. I'd start reading right in Matthew. I didn't even know. When I, when I found out that I only had half the Bible, it was a New Testament with the Psalms and Proverbs. I was like, what, there's more to this? I was like, well, why didn't I get the full version? And so here I am, I'm reading the scriptures, and I'm reading all about Jesus and what he did to reconcile man, mankind back to God. And I loved what he, he demonstrated. Psalm, I mean, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that to me was the most profound part of scripture. I mean, I love the miracles. I love the power. But the fact that he would institute a brand new way of life, like you look at the world and you see their way, well, God's way was totally different. You know, how many times should you forgive your brother? Well, enough until he really makes me angry, and then I hold a grudge against him, and I get my revenge. That was my perspective. That was the way that I had. And here he's saying, you know, you forgive him as many times as you're offended. But what do you do when someone calls you a name or, or slaps you against the, uh, across the face? Well, you don't resist an evil person. Like, hold on, that's not the way that I know. I can remember, uh, now I, I haven't dealt with an extraordinary amount of racism, uh, but I can remember being a, a high schooler and someone calling me a very bad word, a derogatory term that you would call a Jewish person. And they called me that. Now I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know why it was offensive. I just knew it hurt. And I had to put on a face and pretend like it didn't hurt me. And the good news is, is I could have responded differently I just didn't know any better because I was looking at Jesus and I was seeing it the way he would respond to those comments. And, and it's easy, to, one thing, to just overlook it. It's another thing to be intentional about loving the very person who did it. 
there's that passage that says that love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know exactly if this is the right application, but what if it's possible that my love could overcome others' sins? That maybe the intention is for us to so manifest Jesus that the world, they, they can no longer uh, continue trying to harm us. And isn't this exactly what Jesus has done with all of mankind? Isn't that the example? When we live as ambassadors today, isn't it ambassadors of his kindness and his love? And the good news is he didn't just give us the, the heart behind it all. He also gave the power to back up that heart. Um, I love 1 Corinthians 13. I, I am saddened by the fact that that passage is so misapplied. When do you read 1 Corinthians 13 the most often? Weddings. Do you know it has nothing to do with the wedding? <laughs> Literally nothing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is going to mention the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's specifically going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it did to draw all mankind and make one new body. And then, so if he's going to then list off the gifts of the Spirit, and then in chapter 14, he's going to talk about how those gifts are meant to be used in a, in a church service. What do you think chapter 13 is about? Well, the heart behind those gifts. Yeah, I always find it really funny when someone, you know, they'll talk like, do you have the gifts of tongues? Yeah, oh, I speak with the tongues of angels. And I'm like, tongues of angels, really? That's pretty cool. Uh, where did you get that from? <laughs> like, you read that passage, you know the first part of 1 Corinthians 13 is all hyperbole? In other words, it's taking an extreme of form of something to make a point. So Paul's going to, he's talking about the gifts. He says, I'm going to show you a better way. And then he jumps into 1 Corinthians 13 saying, here's the better way. If I speak with the tongues of angels but have not love, I'm just this loud, crazy sound, right? He's like, not just earthly tongues, but let's take the most extreme form of tongues, the tongues of angels. Then the, the next passage, he's like, if I not just have a few words of knowledge, but I know all mysteries but I have not love, it's useless. See what I mean by hyperbole? What Paul does is so genius. He, he goes right into talking about all the various gifts that we've all been given, and then he jumps right into the heart behind those gifts. It's, it's you, ever, you ever really wanted to, to do something in someone's life? You hear this story, it's tragic, you don't know what to do, and all you really want to do is bring about a change? That's why the gifts were given to us. I, I, I find it funny sometimes when I hear people say that tongues is a more powerful language. You know what determines power in prayer? It's not the language you're speaking in. It's the humility behind the person praying. Speaking in tongues doesn't make you a more spiritual person. If anything, tongues is for the people who don't know how to pray. You ever think about that? Like, you find yourself, again, it's like he's given us every bit of power we need to actually do what God has called us to do. Ever had this thing in your heart where you, you're looking at somebody, you want to pray for them, but all of a sudden you're at a lack of words? This is me and my family. I, I pray for my family because they don't know Jesus. And all of a sudden I find myself and I feel like I've prayed this thing a million times, and guess what God's done? He's given me a language to sort of bypass my own hang-ups when I don't know how to pray. See, tongues isn't for the really super spiritual, powerful person. It's for the person who's really weak and has nothing. That's the best part about all of these gifts is God's given them all to us because we're powerless and we, we, we'd be useless without them. We, we need his power to demonstrate the kind of love that he's actually birthed in our heart when he gave us a heart of flesh. 
one that's malleable and capable of change and, and capable of actually being formed into his image. Oh, I'm just sort of on a rant right now. I, I want to I stick on this thing about what God has done, about this bringing all mankind together. He did it in Acts chapter 2. And Paul is going to, he's going to dive into everything that this passage means. If you've got a Bible, open up to Ephesians. You know what, before I do that, I'm going to mention one other little passage. You know, right now what we're seeing on the news is, is evil manifest. And it's just, it is. Hatred is evil manifest. That's, that's, that's what racism is. And you know, the crazy thing is, is that the disciples were just as guilty of the same kind of thing. We all look at the disciples as if they were these holy men, you know. But in reality, they manifested all of the, the fleshy things that all of us have manifested too. Jesus didn't start over and destroy the disciples and go get some new ones. He just perfected them. And that's what he's doing with us. Um, you see this instance in, in Luke chapter 9. Now, now James and John and, and Peter, they've just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and they got to meet with Elijah and Moses. That's kind of a cool experience, don't you think? I mean, how many of you would like to be up on that mountain and see Jesus all of a sudden transformed? Yeah, I mean, I'd want to set up a tent too, you know? Let's, let's chill out. Let's hang. I got some questions to ask these guys. Well, they come down from this mountain, and Jesus is going to start heading towards Jerusalem because it's, it's now time for him to show the world what he's really like. He's not this angry, hateful God. He's a God who loves mankind and is willing to go to the, uh, the utmost sacrifice to bring mankind back to him. So as he's heading there, they have to cross by Samaria. You know what's interesting is Jesus sends the disciples ahead to sort of prepare a place for them to stay near Samaria, and, and guess what happens? The Samaritans reject Jesus because it looked like he was going to Jerusalem. There was some serious animosity between these two people groups. You know, Samaritans to, to Jews were like these sort of half-breed Jewish people. You know, they had all sorts of uh, doctrinal controversy about where the center of Jewish worship should be and which books of the Old Testament we should actually uh, follow. And so James and John, after being rejected by the, the Samaritans, they come up to Jesus and they say, well, Lord, would you like us to call down fire and consume these Samaritans? Well, that makes sense. They were just with Elijah, who also called down fire on Samaritans. You see what they're thinking? We're the new, we're the new breed. Jesus looks at him and goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't, didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. They're manifesting the same evil spirit of racism that we're seeing manifest on the earth today. Yeah. And, and listen, don't be surprised that the, the, the moment when God begins to reconcile all mankind in the church, that the enemy puts a demonstration on show for the whole world to see that nothing's ever changed. And to convince all of us in the body of Christ who, who unfortunately watch the news that nothing's changed, we're still the same old people. No. You look across this room and you see every race of mankind in here, which tells you the church is making progress. Let's not forget that. Okay? Don't let the enemy let us adopt his view of things. Let me, 
get to, get to this. Well, what changed with these racist disciples? Acts chapter 2, he draws every nation. And then soon later, John, who was there at Samaria, wanting to call down fire, he ends up getting sent to those same people because they started believing in Jesus. And they started getting the same baptism that all the Jewish people got that had believed in Jesus. The Samaritans get, left, get brought into the church. Racist walls get torn down. And then it gets even better. Now, after that, the non-Jews are going to be led into the church as well. Um, check this out. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 22. It says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Now, this is Paul writing to non-Jewish people. People who were not included in the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? This is who he's writing to. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were for, formerly far, were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both groups into one. He's broken down the barrier of the dividing wall he, by abolishing in his own flesh the enmity which was in the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, establishing peace, that he might reconcile both, them both in one body to God through the cross. And having put to death enmity, he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. In other words, you're no longer immigrants. You're no longer outside of the citizenship of heaven. But you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And you also are being built together into the dwelling of of God and the Spirit. What's interesting about this is it's going to take every nation for God to dwell fully in man. Um, and it gets better. What's cool is this whole thing, it's like God kept it one big secret. It's like this, this big mystery that no one understood, and then when Jesus came, it was like it was getting unraveled. And Paul becomes the minister of this, this mystery. Go over to Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me to you, for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. See, this is a brand new revelation, and we sort of just take it for granted, but it's been hidden throughout the ages. It has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit to be specific. Now, here's the revelation, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ. Jesus, through the gospel, of which was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power, to me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach 
the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ to bring to light what is in the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. Here's the cool part. Who is it being made known to? It's through the church we revealed this mystery, but who's it being made known to? The rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. We're talking about the prince of the power of the air, the principalities, the gods of this earth. Through the church, we're declaring to these powers, guess what? Your intention to divide, conquer, and destroy has been ruined. Because God has created one new man from all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every race. This is what God has done through Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 is going to mention the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, for by one spirit we have all been baptized. Okay, the word baptism just simply means immersed. So with one spirit we've all been immersed in the spirit. That was the medium. That was the water through which we walked through. And where did we end up? Where do we end up after being baptized in the Spirit? We ended up in Christ, one body. By one Spirit, we've all been baptized into one body. There's now no longer Jew and Gentile. One body. And here's the cool thing. When you got dunked in the Holy Spirit, you came out with gifts says, to each one of us have been given the manifestations of the Holy Spirit for the common good. To one has been given this, to another has been given this, to another has been given this. In other words, we're not going to experience all of the manifestations of the Spirit until we all have one another. In other words, I need you because there are certain gifts that you have that I will never experience unless you manifest the Holy Spirit. It's a simple little byproduct of just being placed into the body of Christ, you get brand new gifts. That means you now have power to express his love, to actually bring about a change in the world, to carry out that authority as an ambassador, whether it be healing or tongues or interpretation or deliverance of spirits, whatever it is. We need your gift. Check this out. What are these gifts unto? What do they create? Look at Ephesians 4. Verse 11 through 13 says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. Here's the cool part. Who's manifesting these gifts? For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? Any saints in the room? Put your hand up, saints. Are there saints in the room? Oh, that's all of you guys. You're the saints. You guys are to be equipped. And what are you equipped to do? The works of the ministry. Now, how long is this going to continue? Is it just till the disciples die and, and those whom they laid their hands on? Is that when the, the works of Jesus stop? That's not what it says. Look what it says. Until we attain the unity of the faith. You know, what's interesting is I look at the world around me and I see less unity than ever before. We've got more denominations today than we ever had before. So guess what we need to bring about unity of the faith? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. I remember uh, I was getting fired from the ministry I worked for because I was, yeah, yeah, it happened. 
I was one of those guys. And it was because I was uh, pursuing gifts of the Spirit. You know what their reason was? Well, that stuff just really disunifies the body. Does it? That's... Is Paul lying to us? Last I checked, these gifts were to bring about unity, not disunity. That's ironic. It says, until the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. These gifts are around until the church collectively looks like Jesus. That's good news. It gets even better. Initially, all of this, this promise of salvation was made for the Jewish people alone. So I lucked out. All of you, I don't know. <laughs> but then God decided to do this unique thing by pouring out His Spirit on all mankind. Romans 11 reads one of the coolest things. Verse 17, it says, But if some of the branches were broken off, these were the unbelieving Jews, broken off. If some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, you wild people, you were grafted in among them and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Now, I didn't know what this verse meant. Like, I, I didn't really understand the, the, the I don't know, the... the momentous nature of it, until I, I read this article about this, uh, this artist. He had, he had found out that there was this old orchard in uh, Syracuse, New York, where they were about to take, to take away and cut down all of these stone fruit trees to make, I don't know, parking lots or something. Um, now, these trees had been around since the founding of this nation, been bearing fruit, and now they're about to chop them all down. So you know what he decides to do? He's going to grab a branch from every single one of those stone trees and graft it into one tree that they were going to keep. It's called the tree of 40 fruits. Now, is that not cool or what? Check this out. You see the different colors of those fruits? One tree, different fruits. You can look this up online. I'll tell you the, the, the artist's name. Uh, Sam Vanneken. He's got tons of trees that he's done this with. I can't think of a better picture of what Jesus Christ has done with mankind. He's taken all of these things that were actually going to be destroyed. And he's plucked people out from every different kind. And plugged them into himself so that they can all get the nutrients from the vine. Life in Christ. Resurrection from the dead. This is what God has done. We're going to get to heaven, and we're going to see a diversity that's going to look just like this room. And my prayer is that we will continue to, to love others to cover up their sins. Our response to the racism and the hatred in the world is not going to be to fight it with, with actual human power. We're going to fight it with the greatest gift God has given, the love of God. And our love is going to be manifested in power when that person hates us, and we pick up his ear, we put it back on his head, and he's healed. Yeah. 
This is how we demonstrate to the world God's love for mankind. I have this uh, interesting thing. The best part about this, and, and I mean, this has been like the biggest motivator of prayer for me. Now, I've heard people talk about how, you know, what you behold, you become. I'm like, where do you, I mean, I know that we get that in scripture, that if we behold Christ, we become like Christ, but how does that actually happen? Have you ever thought that was kind of a mystery, like physically speaking? How do we become like him by just looking at him and meditating on him? You know, Paul says, we don't know, or maybe it's John, I can't remember who it was. He says, we don't know yet what we will be. We know that when we see him, we will be like him, for we'll see him just as he is. And everybody who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So there's good news in this. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to begin to be purified and look like Jesus. It all just starts by meditating on him. Well, I've been reading this book called The God-Shaped Brain. Anybody ever heard of that one? No, it's just nerds like me that like to read these kind of books. Uh, here's what he has to say. This is so cool. In 2006, Baylor University took a national survey to evaluate people, uh, how people viewed God. They found that only 23% of people viewed him as benevolent or loving, while 32% saw the Almighty as authoritarian, 16% as critical, 24% as distant, 5% just claimed to be atheist. It does, does it matter which God concept we hold to? Recent brain research by Dr. Newberg at the University of Pennsylvania has documented that all forms of contemplative meditation were associated with positive brain changes. But the greatest improvements occurred when the participants meditated specifically on a God of love. This is cool. Such meditation was associated with growth in the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain right behind our forehead where reason and judgment and experiences of God-like love are located, and subsequent increased capacity for empathy, sympathy, compassion, and altruism. But here's the most astonishing part. Not only does the other-centered love increase when we worship a God of love, but sharp thinking and memory improve as well. In other words, worshiping a God of love actually stimulates the brain to heal and grow. Now that is fascinating. I swear, every, every day after reading that one little thing, and I wish it was the Bible that all of a sudden made me do this, but it wasn't. I read this scientist, and I go, this is why I'm so unloving sometimes. I'm just not looking at the God of love. And so every day I just want to sit in front of him because now I know like, it's not just true in the scriptures. Like Science is now backing up what the scriptures have always told us. And we actually have like physiological proof now that just by looking at Jesus, listen, you want to overcome the hatred in the world? It's not going to come with your fist. It's not going to come with a show of physical force. It's going to come after you've spent time looking at love. It's interesting we're, we're told that God is all kinds of things. Like, he's got all of these different attributes. But there's one quality that defines who he is. You know what it is? God is love. He's not just loving. He is love. The perfect picture of it. And we become like him by just looking at him. I, I'm blown away that the... the ability of people to grow in empathy and self-sacrificial love comes from looking at, looking at Jesus. And it, and, it, and it all of a sudden makes sense to me while I've met people that know the scriptures inside and out. Heck, I would say I know the scriptures very well, but I can be an incredibly unloving person. 
But I meet people who don't know the scriptures that well, who show so much more of God's kindness and love, and I look at them going, man, I'm missing it somehow. Clearly something is different about them, and now I know what it is. It wasn't that they spent all that time in the scriptures memorizing it and looking smart, and so they actually just looked at Jesus and they meditated on him and his love and were able to receive it and be transformed by him. We want to we go after the hatred in the world. Let's just start looking at love. This church has like one of the most unique opportunities of most churches, and it's that you have a room dedicated to that very thing. A place dedicated to just gaze upon Jesus, see his love and his kindness so that you can manifest it to the world. I'm telling you, the city of Dallas is going to be transformed because of that place. More specifically, it's going to be transformed because the many people in this room who've devoted their lives to just sitting in that place to look like Jesus. So when they go back to their businesses, they manifest love and not stabbing other business leaders in the back. And there's more. You got power. You're an ambassador. You carry power to affect his love, to, to apply it quite literally. When one of the coolest miracles I saw in South Africa, I, uh, you know, every time I get up in front of an audience, I'll be honest and just say, like, there's part of me that just wants to look good. But then, then when I realize that, there's also that part of me that goes, man, I really don't, okay, God, sorry, um, but I, I really do want to see your power. And then I, I pray, and I remember specifically, here I am, in a, I've never preached in this church in South Africa before. I, I really want them to like me. I do. I, I want to be liked. And I admit that. That's my weakness. I don't need to be liked. Jesus likes me just fine. And he's all the liking that I need. But I admit, this is part of my weakness sometimes. I get insecure. I got insecure before getting up here today. I had Malden pray for me because I was afraid. Yeah, that's me. Um, but anyway, I, I, I remember asking, Lord, like, please do something great for these people. Show your power. Show that, that you love them. And uh, I was walking into the bathroom, and all of a sudden I hear the name Georgie and, uh, and uh, the word L5. And I think, okay, that's, that's weird. And then I go and use the bathroom. This is a day before the meeting. I'm like, okay, that's probably God. I should probably remember this. And so the next day I go into the meeting, and I, and I preach, and I say, um, is there a Georgie here? I said, Georgie, you, you were probably called that as a kid. I can't imagine any adults being called that. And, and I said, and I got the word L5. I'm assuming that that's a vertebrae. I don't know how many L's we have, but I think it goes to L5. I'm serious. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Um, and, and it turns out my host stands up. Now, I've been staying. We, my wife and I and our son stayed with he and his wife. And I'm thinking, his name's not Georgie. And he didn't mention, he mentioned he had shoulder pain, and I prayed for him. He never mentioned anything in his spine. But he's one of the elders in that church. He says, well, when I was a, a kid, my dad's name is George, and they all called me Young George. Georgie literally means Young George. And he says, I've had this problem for over 20 years, my L5 vertebrae. And I said, well, you know, I could pray for you, but if I do, everybody here is going to think, well, the power happens when the special guy with the microphone from America uh, uh, comes and prays for somebody. So I was like, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to have other people in this community pray for you. Just so you know that this has nothing to do with me, that God is going to use all of us. There's no such thing as a JV Holy Spirit. 
So they pray for him. His name was actually Jan. But Jan bends over, and right when he bends over, he starts crying. He is completely healed. I, it's interesting because uh, from what everybody has said, Jan is not a very emotional man. But he sits up, like he stands straight up and just, he is a, a flood and he is broken. And this is the love of God melting the human heart. There is nothing more powerful. Like I don't know of any force in this world that is capable of changing the human heart. The only thing I know of is the love of God. It's the only thing that breaks off walls of, of impenetrable invulnerability. This guy didn't show his emotions, and yet every emotion is laid bare because of the power expressed in the love of God. Uh, right after that, healings just start breaking out in the room. I mean, it's like faith is ignited, and people, once again, get to experience God's love all over again. I want us to look like that everywhere we go. I want us to break down every wall of racism and hatred with the power that comes through Christ expressed in you. I don't know what it looks like in your workplace. I don't know how, how much your job is threatened by you looking like Jesus. But I can tell you it's worth it. Best promotion I ever got in the kingdom was getting fired. Seriously. I remember I, I got fired from my, my ministry job, ended up working in a restaurant, bartending and waiting tables. I saw more miracles in that place than I ever did in my ministry. <laughs> Promotion in the kingdom. All right. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information about the upper room, please visit Europe.org.